President Trump um, kept calling it Kung Flu and Mm -hmm. basically just uh, blamed the whole COVID on on the Chinese. That idea was planted in people's head and that caused some sort of background hostility, I think. It has a, a lot to do with the China Initiative. China Initiative actually, the name was not dropped until early 2022. You know, we would think President Biden was going to drop it, you know, shortly after uh, he moved into the White House. It, it, it took a long time and an organization like United uh, Chinese Americans and other uh, organizations actually, they have sit in, they have done a lot, kind of like forcing the Justice Department, you know, only to, to drop the name. The centralized government willing to invest in science I would say almost the most important because when the China's central government gets behind something, my gosh, some stuff, great walls can mm. be built and, and Olympic games can go on that are unbelievable. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun. A new study has indicated that facing an increasingly hostile research and social environment, a growing number of scientists of Chinese descent are leaving America for positions abroad. A paper published late June in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences shows that from 2010 to 2021, the number of scientists of Chinese descent who left the United States for another country had surged from 900 to over 2,600, with an expedited pace between 2018 and 2021. So what factors have contributed to the career decisions of these scientists? How will the brain drain for the U.S. influence the country's scientific research? Now, for these questions and more, I'm joined by Dr. Liu Yawei, Director of the China Program at Carter Center, and Lee, Adjunct Professor at New York University, also Edward Lehman, Legal Affairs Commentator and Managing Director of Lehman, Lee and Xu Law Firm. Now, um, a big welcome and thank you to all of you for joining me today. Um, let's just uh, get right into it. So one of the key messages in this article is that uh, the the migration uh, started uh, over 12 years ago, uh, uh, but it was 900 back in 2010. In 2021, it was more than 2,600. Uh, and with an accelerated departure rate that's 70% higher in the last three years, coinciding with the launch of the China Initiative in 2018 by the U.S. Department of Justice. And the article also said among surveyed respondents, a shocking 61% have thought about, had the idea of leaving America. Um, Now, maybe let me begin with Professor Lee. I mean, first up, are you surprised at these rates at all? Why or why not? I'm not as surprised. I think that scientists are highly sought after. And so if they don't feel welcome in one country, they're certainly very welcome in other countries because their background is so desirable. Everyone wants to have scientists help them develop technology to help with research. And so uh, scientists often would have multiple offers at any given time, I'm sure. So so I think that 
this trend is, you know, not very surprising given the the rise in Asian hate that was happening in the U.S. But other than, you know, the China initiative uh, causing, you know, various biases to, to rise against Asians here, uh, I would point out there are other factors, too. You know, the class mobility in the U.S. also has fallen quite a bit. It used to be that there was a huge middle class in the U.S. It was very easy for immigrants and for people, um, the lower classes to to move up. Uh, And it's far less common these days. Um, There have been many studies on that. And so when, uh, you know, people come over, they often think about, you know, what the opportunity for their kids are for uh, improvement in their standard of living. And that often factors in. And if it's not as high in the U.S. as it is in China or other places that could also contribute to it. <clears throat> what about Dr. Liu? How how do you see this uh, phenomenon? I'm not uh, surprised uh, at all by uh, the fact that uh, a growing number of uh, Chinese American scientists are returning to China. But we also need to be aware that uh, the majority of Chinese American scientists uh, have made the decision to stay here. Uh, I, I think U.S. government uh, is aware uh, of this situation, but at the same time, I think there are enough people in the government who are still concerned uh, about uh, economic espionage conducted uh, by scientists uh, of, of Chinese descent. Mm. Uh, so that's why the report indicated, and I agree with that assessment, even though China Initiative, the name has been dropped. But the nature of the work, uh, I I think, uh, continues to focus uh, on scientists of Chinese descent. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I think they're subject to more scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're probably subject to uh, more, uh, you know, invisible discrimination and and even uh, harassment. Mm, Right. Now, uh, Dr. Lehman, what's your observation as you work, you know, in the legal profession? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly the China initiative was launched by the U.S. Department of Justice and I think it was in 2018 with with what's been mentioned. I mean, as a stated goal of addressing concerns of economic espionage and that sort of is in and of itself becomes unwelcoming when you called uh, something the China initiative that, that has to do with economic espionage. So just by labeling it, that makes it makes it problematic and, and is not um yeah, something that seems welcoming. Certainly over the years, I mean, we represented a, a wide range of scientists and a wide range of folks that are involved in um, all sorts of uh, STEM-related aspects in business. And, um, you know, while the initiative was officially ended in 2020, I mean, but a, a lot of uh, Chinese uh, nationals who are working in the United States and are on H-1Bs, which are, are you know, particular experts for their different companies, you know, have were discussed uh, or were approached by uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation agents by that, just asking them questions, which is really highly unusual. And that can lead it in and of itself to be unwelcoming, which would then at least think, you know, someone has to weigh the possibility about, you know, having that hanging over their heads, uh, which is not normal. 
and, and then them saying, okay, well, maybe we have to think about moving. That's why with your statistic of 61%, we're thinking about it. Uh, there were actual numbers who had, who had left, uh, but it, it still seems that, uh, you mm-hmm. know, folks do remain even with all that. So again, I'm not surprised by what's in the contents. I think that the world has changed dramatically, uh, as has been pointed out with with COVID and with a misunderstanding about, um, you know, COVID and and what that was all about. And then I think that that leads and bleeds into this whole understanding. And I think it's important to note from a legal perspective that the only nation in the world that has ever been excluded from naturalization to the United States has been the Chinese. Mm. So it's called the Anti-Chinese Immigration Act. I mean, so we historically don't have a great track record. Um, It had a lasting impact on Chinese Americans and Asian communities in the United States Mm. and, um, you know, contributes to a a misunderstanding still to this day. So, um, you know, this is maybe, you know, a modern day version of that, which makes it unwelcome for folks to, to want to stay around. All of you have mentioned the China Initiative. Let's, uh, you know, take a closer look of it. Um, when the Department of Justice launched the China Initiative in 2018, it was on basis of what U.S. officials said of uh, addressing concerns of ex- economic espionage. And but it it was ended in 2020. I mean, the article, as Dr. Liu has mentioned, the article didn't attribute the reverse brain drain exactly to the China initiative. Um, but uh, I, I just wonder what you would think there was particularly damaging about the initiative uh, when we consider the long-term progress of U.S. science and tech research and development. Uh, Professor Li, what's your take? Given that there have been so many... Chinese have come here that have gotten PhDs, uh, it should be concerning to the U.S. And I want to say that it's, this is not the first time where Mm -hmm. uh, this has happened. I mean, back when there was the Red Scare, a famous uh, Chinese aerospace engineer named Chen Mm Sui-shen, he, you know, made significant contributions to aerodynamics in the U.S. I mean, he was born in China and taught at Tsinghua, MIT, and CIT in the night. You know, he was a co-founder of the Jet Propulsion Lab. Um, but because the U.S. back then also had fears of communists and uh, fears of the Chinese, you know, he had his security clearance revoked. Um, he was even arrested uh, because, you know, there were rumors that he was questioned by the FBI and so with that kind of harassment, he later resigned and returned to China and helped China build its space program. Mm. And so you have to wonder how many other Chen Shens are out there today that could help the U.S. advance in various scientific endeavors. And yet because of this harassment, you know, caused them to leave and then in a sense, uh, realized the U.S.'s biggest fears of China, you know, pulling ahead of the U.S. in scientific endeavors, which is part of the reason why they're cracking down on them, but they're almost accelerating what they fear the most, because when they project these fears on to innocent people, um, they end up turning around and doing the very thing that the Chinese, I mean, the U.S. government, fears. Mm, <clears throat> mm. 
Now, Doctor Liu, what's your observation? In your opinion, what are the aspects that will be damaging to U.S.、Uh, science and tech research for the long run about the China Initiative? I, I think I agreed with Edward、uh, when he mentioned that the、uh, U.S.、Uh, has a history of uh, uh, racial discrimination uh, against uh, people of Chinese descent.、Uh, mm. This year is the 80th anniversary、uh, of the. Abolition of the Chinese Exclusion Act. You know that law was adopted、uh, in 1882 and was not abolished until 1943, when China and the United States were fighting against the Japanese uh, together. Uh, I, I think、uh, Anne mentioned the case of, of Chen Xueshen. Chen Xueshen actually was not allowed、uh, to return, even though he lost his job. He was under surveillance. By the FBI,、uh, the Chinese government and the U.S. government negotiated. I think there was a swap、uh, that eventually he returned. And of course, you know he was known as the father、uh, of China's uh, missile uh, technology. You know he has contributed uh, to China's uh, missile program. You know which is of course a, a reminder uh, that uh, the return of、uh, scientists of Chinese descent、uh, certainly. Uh, is going to contribute、uh, to the scientific research innovation、uh, in in China.、Uh, so, I, you know, this is the irony of the whole thing.、Uh, you are harassing and investigating、uh, scientists of Chinese、uh, descent,、mm-hmm. largely to prevent the so-called economic espionage.、Uh, but it actually、uh, leads to the fact that、uh, China. Uh, might have gained what they are not able to gain uh, otherwise. Uh, China Initiative actually was not the name was not dropped until early 2022. You know, we would think、wow. uh, that President Biden was going to drop it. You know, shortly after、uh, he moved into the White House, it, it, it took a long time, and an organization like United、uh, Chinese Americans and other. Uh, organization actually, they have sit in, they have done a lot, and, and kind of like forcing the Justice Department,、uh, you know, only to to drop the name. But then, Doctor Liu, I w- I just want to follow up on that. I mean, the 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 article didn't attribute, you know, the the brain drain exactly to the China Initiative. But in your opinion, how much has this、uh, reverse brain drain to do with the China Initiative? No, it 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 has a, a lot to do with the China Initiative. Uh, although I would like to, to uh, indicate, uh, you know, before、uh, the China Initiative for five, six years, maybe longer, you know, there is、mm-hmm. the Qianrenjihua, the、uh, the Thousand Talent Program.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's China's effort.、Uh, you know, I think the Chinese government is very much aware that to get scientists of Chinese descent、mm-hmm. to return to China voluntarily, that's not going to work. Uh, so the incentive is, you know, we're going to pay you、uh, to to come back to work for us. I, 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 another irony here is China's effort、uh, to use material incentive、mm. to attract Chinese scientists to return and work in China resulted、uh, in the fact that many of these scientists of Chinese descent、uh, have failed、uh, to disclose that、mm. you know they're not leaving. Their employers here in the U.S. at the same time、uh, they are accepting,、uh, you know, compensation from the Chinese government,、uh, but they didn't 
disclose that when they were applying for federal grants. You know, we of course we should be aware that you know the the management of the whole application before uh, was not uh, as tightly as it should have been now. I, I think this uh, caution now is is everywhere. Uh, I think uh, scientists of Chinese uh, descent now are clearly uh, aware that they need to disclose. You know, of course, the, the article mentioned, the report mentioned that many of them are reluctant to apply for federal grants. Right. Uh, yeah, but I, I think down the road, uh, they and, and I think the government probably will do things to encourage them to apply. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Now, Dr. Lehman, um, in your work, um, in your observation, how much, um, you know, has a reverse brain drain to do, you know, the, the scientists' perception of the China, perception as well as experience of the China initiative? Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think it. I think it's directly attributed to what's going on because I see it. You know, from I see it from my my law practice. Mm. I mean, it's like it's like Carl Jung said. You know, the shoe that fits for one person pinches another. There's no recipe for living that suits all cases. I mean, so some people can tolerate the harassment by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and by other agencies and and can carry on in the United States while others are driven away. And I think, I mean, what Dr. Leo was talking about earlier is this sort of uneven handedness with regards to Chinese in particular. And I I talked about it with the Anti-Chinese Exclusion Act, which which he reiterated. And I mean, when you look at Unit 731 by way of example, I mean, if you want to look at historical circumstances, those Japanese who were, uh, you know, who were caught at the end of the war, they were tried under the Soviets, but the American government actually, uh, you know, those that were captured by the Americans were secretly given immunity in exchange for their data that was gathered during their human experiments that took place in China. Mm. Or if you look at Operation Paperclip, which, um, you know, the the father, if you will, of the American, uh, you know, uh, space program, uh, Werner von Braun was a Nazi, for goodness sakes. And so he was captured at the end of uh, liberated, captured, whatever you want to call it, during the end of Second World War. And then the Nazis, which we sort of whitewashed out of our history, uh, he was, you know, given American citizenship and he was given some kind of award uh, by President Kennedy and, um, you know, was front and foremost. Again, this was a German, this was a Japanese. But then when it comes to Chinese, we've got these initiatives and we've got this, uh, this only group that's ever been excluded. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, is, is mm. what is it? Mark Twain said, I mean, history doesn't uh, repeat itself, but it <laughs> rhymes. And, you know, maybe that it's rhyming here with regards to this. And, I, and you know, if, if people carry on in this direction, it's not going to be positive for the United States. And it's going to be a net win for China. Well, certainly, um, as the article and all of you have mentioned this, the reasons are very complicated. Uh, let's Let's take a look at some of the other things here. Because um, the period of 2018 to 2021 is also parallel to the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. The article said uh, here, I quote, 83% of the respondents had experienced insults in a non-professional setting in the past year and experiencing insults of this kind significantly heightened individuals' intention of leaving the United States. Um, The authors believe that such kind of experience does not explain away the net 
effects of fear and feeling unwelcome related to the China Initiative on the intention of leaving the U.S. Now, Professor、uh, Li, how? How much influence really can a Chinese a hostile environment wield on career decisions of scientists of Chinese descent in America? Well, I think it's difficult to measure,、uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> because there's just too many people out there, and how, like, how do you measure a feeling, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, you could do surveys, but I think it's very difficult to to capture that. I don't think. Any have really been done, but it just sounds like common sense to me that、um, it would have a huge influence.、Uh, because obviously, one of the reasons you know people consider where they make their career is just how friendly their work environment is going to be. So, if it's going to be hostile,、uh, they're not going to be happy, and therefore they won't last. <clears throat> but then,、um, Professor Li, how? How how is the environment、uh, during you know after the COVID nineteen pandemic different、um, than before you know to Chinese scientists of the、uh, in in America? I mean, has it changed significantly? It's hard for me to、mm. measure that specifically. I would say in general, the bias against Chinese and Asians in general, because President Trump、um, kept calling it Kung Flu and.、Mm. Basically, just、uh, you know, blamed、uh, the whole COVID on on the Chinese. I think、uh, that was in the background of a lot of people who, you know, may or may not have any original,、uh, you know, thoughts around what caused COVID. But that idea was planted in people's head, and that caused some sort of background hostility. I think so. Th- I think that was clearly demarcation of you know when it started to accelerate,、mm. but again, I, I you know for、yeah. me to to say it's just affected、mm-hmm. the scientists, it, it you know it, I I haven't spoken to enough scientists to, <laughs> to actually to,、uh, to say right. You know, that,、uh, so. Let me let me turn to Dr. Liu. Um, I mean, when these、uh, scientists consider their career, I mean, how much would they consider、uh, the social environment in you know the country or the places where they work? Well, I want to mention a, a recent uh, survey uh, conducted uh, by a committee of 100、uh, and uh, the Columbia、right. University School、mm-hmm. of Social Work. So they have it's it's not a random survey. So they just try to reach. Uh, as many Chinese Americans as possible, and they were able、uh, to receive completed questionnaire in a number of 6,500.、Uh, 74% of them said、uh, they experienced the racial discrimination、uh, in the past 12 months.、Uh, 55 of them、uh, worried about their safety,、mm. uh, and about、uh, just under 10% of them indicated they have been physically intimidated. Uh, in in the past 12 months, so th- there there is this、uh, general atmosphere because of COVID against、uh, Chinese Americans,、uh, as as、uh, Anne mentioned. You know, President Trump、uh, also went all the way、uh, to associate COVID, the origins of COVID,、mm. uh, with Chinese Americans.、Uh, but of course, you know, when scientists、uh, or any anyone、uh, you know who have Been working, studying, living here in the U.S. You know, t-、uh, 
uh, and you know they're naturalized uh, to make a decision to go back uh, you know to China or to another country where they feel it's going to be more comfortable mm-hmm. that's of course uh, is is a huge uh, decision right. and and they have to look at uh, not just the social environment but the political context and what kind of freedom uh, they're going to ha- have in a new country and what kind of uh, you know incentive uh, compensation uh, they're they're going to have so there this is a multifaceted uh, question and it's not uh, easy to answer but certainly uh, covid uh, has aggravated mm. uh, the social situation for all chinese americans and and scientists of uh, chinese descent a part of that uh, mm. population that is feeling very uneasy about the situation. As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, and you need the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Welcome back. This is Chat Lunch on CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Continue with our discussion. Aside from the China Initiative and um, and also the COVID nineteen pandemic, I just wanna I want this question to go to all of you. I mean, your observation. What other factors may have contributed to you know the reverse brain drain, uh, Doctor Lehman? Please. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know that it's not so much like holding on. Sometimes, I mean, the the one thing I. I have to say about Chinese Americans in, and Chinese just in general is they're not victims, generally speaking. Mm. So we, I mean, America is is made up. There's this whole victimization thing that's going on. I mean, China's the one place that had to, the Chinese, the Asian Americans had to sue the Ivy League uh, universities so that they right. would get more than a 17.5% quota to allow them to go, you know, to be in, in schools to have merit. Mm. Um, you know, when we talked, I mean, Dr. Liu and I, we talked about the Anti-Chinese Immigration Act. I mean, most people, most Chinese don't know that existed. They, You know, everyone knows about slavery, but nobody knows about indentured servants coming to America from China. Um, so Chinese have really, as, as a society in the United States, have overcome and haven't really looked them, at themselves as victims. I mean, I, I'm really glad to have sh- that the information was shared about what was going on in covid and, and what Chinese Americans or Asian Americans felt during that time. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, economic uncertainty. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, the world is a different place today than it was uh, pre-COVID. And I think as a result, you know, people, are, you know, they're trying to figure out 
which direction that they should go in. Mm. And so I think that that has led to the brain drain, too. I think also, I mean, if you look at it, uh, if you look at the Chinese Constitution, in the Chinese Constitution, it says that, uh, you know, parents must take care of their children and children must take care of their parents. Mm -hmm. There's actually a legal obligation for folks, you know, Chinese to come back and look after their parents. So it's it, there's sort of this push out, which is the you know this sort of uh, not positive uh, experience that, that maybe Chinese American scientists or Chinese scientists in America are experiencing. And mm -hmm. then there's this pull towards China, um, you know, to to help parents, and and there's incentives in China and other places now for them to go. And and like it's been brought out before, scientists have a lot of different different options and. They're exercising those options, and it's become this kind of race for uh, intelligence and race for um, help in different areas as the world moves faster and faster towards, you know, the uh, science and technology. Mm. Thank you for pointing out, you know, the the cultural difference in here. Um, what about um, Professor Lee? What, what other factors do you think may have contributed to these decisions? Well, I would think that. Advancement opportunities mm -hmm. uh, obviously can play a role. Uh, you know, in the U.S., we've noticed that even despite the huge number of Chinese American scientists, you know, very few of them have actually made it to CEO levels or board levels, and, and so there's certainly a glass ceiling for a lot of them still, despite you know, this purported push to have diversity and upper management, but, you know, you don't really see it. Mm. Um, certainly, you know, maybe they can make more money elsewhere, uh, even perhaps more appealing environments in other countries. Mm. You know, the U.S. Uh, cities in particular have, since COVID, descended into more crime, uh, lots of violence, more homelessness everywhere on the streets. Um, you know, this, you know, can certainly uh, be problematic for a lot of folks who worry about their safety. Mm. And so, you know, these are on nightly news reports. So this um, certainly can contribute to the perception that other countries might be more appealing than staying in the U.S. And certainly just, you know, the quality of life. Uh, the U.S. has historically had this uh, hustle culture where, you know, Everyone works really hard. Other places might have less stress where, you know, the work hours aren't so long. Mm. You know, those are some of the other softer factors, I think, that also can contribute to it. Mm, indeed, these are softer factors. Uh, Dr. Liu, what about you? What do you think? No, I, I think I already addressed this issue. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for Chinese scientists, uh, you know, Chinese American scientists, you know, whether they want to stay here or they want to go back to their home country, birth country, uh, or to go to any of the European countries, or maybe going to Japan or other places, you know, that that's a big decision for them. The fact that the majority of them stayed out here, uh, you know, highlights the fact that uh, the United States is probably, even though there are lots of problems, uh, as uh, Andrew mentioned, you know, today's America is not uh, what America was like a few years ago, but mm. still, uh, America is the still mo you know, the most open country in the world, uh, mm. and, and immigrants uh, do have the opportunity uh, to accomplish. Uh, of course, 
uh, you know, people like my background mm. were aware of the bamboo ceilings. So it's it's a a coalition of of, of factors uh, that uh, make them you know to to leave here. Majority of them uh, are are still here, so which that, mm. shows the resilience uh, of of America as a whole. Mm, indeed, I think that's one of the points that uh, authors of this article made. Uh, to um, it, it uh, said that the number has increased, but uh, when it when it's compared with the total number of uh, Chinese uh, scientists of Chinese descent in America, this number is still relatively very small. Now, the article quoted a report by U.S. National Science Board and said uh, China has been the most important foreign supplier of U.S.-based scientists for more than two decades. Professor Li, how do you think the reverse brain drain will be viewed by other minority groupings working in U.S. academia? Will it, will it influence their decisions on this, on this? Well, I think that other minority groups... Mm-hmm. Um, such as the Indians who also um, come here in great numbers uh, in scientific fields uh, may actually see this as an opportunity. Because mm. uh, as we know, geopolitically, the U.S. is trying to become more friendly with the Indians. Mm. And certainly we've seen more Indian uh, CEOs and uh, other you know, prominent Indians you know, in different positions in academia that, uh, that, you know, provide sort of, I guess, more hope for Indians to advance. And so if their Chinese colleagues are leaving, that leaves, you know, more positions for them to fill and perhaps, you know, more, more jobs lead to more promotions. And so it actually could be seen as an opportunity for for other minority groups. Mm. We we talk about you know um, the the issues and also the concerns people have for the United States for such a long time now. Let's see let's see how China has been faring in terms of attracting talents uh, in the scientific field. Um, I mean, authors of this article consider uh, China is now a major um, contributor to world science and tech. <laughs> It uh, had listed four reasons for China's recent success, only recent success. Um, so the first one is a large population and a human capital base, which is obvious. A second is a labor market rewarding academic meritocracy. I think Dr. Liu has somewhat mentioned that. The third one is a centralized government willing to invest in science. And the last one is returning migration of foreign trained scientists and engineers of Chinese descent to China. Now, really, Dr. Liu, how much do you agree with these reasons and what other reasons do you have in mind? No, I, I agree uh, with most of you know, mm-hmm. the, the four listed uh, over there. You know, the base, of course, is huge. Uh, the, just the number of students you know, going into STEM probably is a lot more uh, than any other country uh, in, in the world. Uh, in terms of the market rewarding meritocracy, mm-hmm. I think people like to to talk about this. Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, not totally uh, convinced that uh, China's uh, uh, market uh, economy or you know rewarding meritocracy uh, is is uh, certainly it is there, but mm. it, it can be uh, improved. Mm. Uh, and and of course, you know, the government willingness uh, to to invest. So there is a lot of investment, uh, but we also have to acknowledge 
there's huge waste uh, on, on this factor. If, mm -hmm. if this factor is not going to be addressed, uh, there will be even, uh, even more uh, waste. Uh, the reverse uh, migration, mm. I guess it's it's very small uh, factor now, uh, as as we discussed earlier. Mm. You know the total number of Chinese uh, Western trained Chinese uh, scientists uh, returning to China is still very small, and and uh, you know that also highlights uh, the uncertainty, whether it's political uh, or social or, or even economic, uh, is is uh, is is there, and and that's going to impact uh, their their decision. Mm. Now, Professor Li, your view on these four reasons? I think of the four, I mean, there's probably just a grain of truth in each one. Mm. Um, it's hard to make large generalizations, but I think maybe number three is probably, in my mind, the biggest contributor mm. for China's rise in STEM. Um, and I say this because a large population in itself um, isn't going to make China a major contributor. I mean, you look at small countries like Switzerland, and they've made huge advances, and they're a very tiny country, um, and you know, say compared to India, and you know, certainly India with the largest population, um, you think would be further along, but isn't. So I think that the population in itself um, isn't going to explain uh, why China has gotten to where it is. But I do think that with a government that puts in the correct carrots and sticks, uh, mm. it, it, you know, can move, you know, large populations in the direction it wants. And so if they are um, providing a lot of incentives for people to go into STEM, then certainly a lot of people will go into STEM as opposed to, you know, other disciplines. Mm. And, um, and as far as, yeah, the meritocracy, um, I'm not sure if it's more so than the U S or in Europe. Uh, mm. uh, so, so, so that's why I'm not, I'm not entirely sure in the fact that, you know, right now the youth unemployment is relatively high and, um, China, you know, uh, you'd think that with such an educated youth, mm. Um, it wouldn't be so high if it was all about meritocracy. So, mm. um, so I, that's why I think that maybe uh, so, if I had to, mm. you know, prioritize the, the four reasons, I would say that the centralized government, mm. um, centralized government's role um, is probably the biggest. What about Dr. Lehman? Yeah, I mean, I... I think all of these reasons are valid. I mean, large population and human capital base, there's something to be said about that. I mean, I looked at the statistics, I think it was three years ago. China graduates 1.38 million engineers. Uh, it was in 2020. And I mean, America is like something like uh, 100 and, I don't know, 150,000, something like that. So, I mean, when you consider the numbers of, folks that are coming out as engineers, you know, maybe that's based on the uh, 1.38 million engineering degrees, 197,000 mm. uh, in the United States that same year with 54,000 coming in computer science. I don't know if that counts. But um, so, you know, one is the, the, the population of the country. I mean, the labor market rewarding academic uh, meritocracy, not so much. I, I don't, I think China is not as good at that as, as other places probably. Mm. 
and I, for a whole bunch of reasons, but that, that isn't a strong one. The centralized government willing to invest in science, I would say three, almost the most important, because as witnessed by the, uh, whatever, the 2008 Olympics, by witnessed by the Winter Olympics, when the China's central government gets behind something, my gosh, some stuff, great walls can mm. get built in. Great walls can get taken apart and, and Olympic Games can go on that are unbelievable. <laughs> People are still talking about today. So, I mean, that's what's amazing about China and I think what, what a lot of folks really are impressed by. But the return migration of foreign trained scientists and engineers uh, of descent into China, I think, while memorable, I'm, um, and certainly I think it's very good for Chinese scientists to go abroad of the 1.38 million that graduated 2020, you know, and to see what the heck is out there and then come on back to their own country, serve the motherland best way they can. Uh, I think that that's there's a lot of, uh, you know, bang and sizzle about that happening. But th when you look at the amount of, uh, of folks that are here already, if you get the central government behind it in the right way, then it can really do something well. The United States is, you know, kind of entrepreneurial mm. works, doesn't work. You're out there giving a go. So it's very different. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. China certainly has done something right, uh, but also let's take a look at uh, what China needs to improve. Uh, Dr. Liu, earlier you mentioned uh, there's uh, this um, thing that you called waste in, in, the, uh, in the Chinese academia. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, uh, I think it's obvious uh, mm -hmm. when the government can make a decision to, to invest. You know, uh, Edward talked about the, the Summer Olympic Games uh, of 2008 and the Winter Olympic Games uh, of uh, 2022. Uh, but in addition to that, if you look at, you know, one uh, Huayro hosted the APAC meeting, one Hangzhou hosted the G20 Mm. Uh, and Hangzhou is going to host uh, the Asia Games. I mean, there's a lot of money that mm. are being invested over there. Uh, but again, you know, there's there's waste associated with that. The decision, uh, you know, almost unfettered decision to invest, of course. Mm. Uh, many people argue that's one of the advantages of the so-called China model. But if you don't look at the other side, uh, then that that's going to be a huge issue because money are being invested uh, in areas that may bring mm. uh, worry to the to the country, uh, but it, it, there's probably more need for money uh, in other uh, areas in China. For example, you know the rural healthcare, you know the mm. farmers' access, education, mm. uh, and 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 things like that. So need to look at uh, the equality and equity issues too. Well, um, it's important, you know, then for policymakers to actually make corrections when needed. So, Professor Li, what, how do you see, you know, the things and also places where China still need to improve to improve their STEM education? Well, I think that if China can attract people from other parts of the world more, in the same way that the U.S. does, right? The U.S. has a far smaller population, and yet. Um, the U.S. Uh, was able to draw upon the entire world because the whole world saw U.S. as this destination um, for achieving dreams. And therefore, you, the U.S. didn't need a big population to become the top 
you know, the top leader in science and technology for many decades. And so by if China can basically replicate the same thing, um, then they wouldn't have to rely just on their own population. They could rely on the whole world's talents to mm-hmm. help them advance. And I think that's much stronger, more robust way because when you draw on talent from other parts of the world, there's more of a cross-fertilization of ideas. You know, people can bring in different experiences and different perspectives. And when you have an exchange of these ideas from different backgrounds, you end up um, creating breakthroughs. Um, So I think that if China really wants to accelerate their ability to advance in this regard, then they have to actually um, try to figure out a way to attract people from outside of China to to come to China more um, in this regard. Now, Dr. Lehman, um, how would you respond to the kind of waste that Dr. Liu has talked about? Um, you know, that's uh, somewhat, uh, you know, resulted from uh, large government in incentives and large government investment. Yeah, I mean, I, on the one hand, you have things like the high-speed rail, which is amazing. I mean, that, mm. that's an elimination of, of uh, poverty at such a great level over the time that I've lived in China, for goodness sake. Astronomical achievement, and I think that science and technology has something to do with that, with both of those as well. I, But having taught at universities here, um, you know, one thing that strikes me and, and, and taught in, in the United States as well and, and in the UK o- over the years is – that it's my impression, good, bad, or indifferent, that a lot of students are looking for what the teacher thinks is the answer, the lecture, whatever the heck it is. Mm. And they're not really looking, or they're great test takers. They're awesome test takers. It's about passing the test, but not about actually the practical application of it. And sometimes you also see that, like, as, as Dr. Leo said, I mean, in, in, uh, when you get into the workplace, it's the same kind of thing. So it's like, not cutting corners per se, but it's like you're kind of tagging off or check doing things off a checklist, essentially. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, don't mistake activity for achievement. So you've got all these people with all these degrees. And then are we getting anything done here? You know, that that's not only a Chinese phenomenon, but and there's waste everywhere. My goodness. I mean, you know, certainly mm. in the in, uh, the United States, <laughs> in the government. I mean, there was a there was a senator that used to give out uh these kind of golden fleece awards about, you know, how much people had paid for the United States government for a toilet seat or for some obscure piece of equipment. Uh, So we're, you know, we're pretty good on waste and all governments are, but I mean, China, when they, when they get it right, it's dead on. When they get it off, it can be a huge waste. And and these can Mm -hmm. be white elephants that, that are, you know, can be embarrassing it, mm-hmm. Not just for China, but I mean, it's something that sticks out. And so that's that's difficult uh, to explain. And people just have to keep noodling around and, and getting it work working right. And that's one thing about having a monolithic society with with uh, that's that's got a strong leadership. You know, they push them in the right direction, hopefully, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and eliminate corruption and make things move forward. I mean, that's the hope. Right. The authors of the article said uh, modern science made a progress uh, since its inception in the 17th century because it has been open, benefiting all mankind. Um, but uh, now we are the human being is uh, facing, you know, uh, a, com- a strategic competition between the U.S. and China in the long run. 
Uh, and this question goes to all three of you. If you're going to make one suggestion to policymakers to either side, what would you say? And let me be- begin with Professor Lee. So there are two questions almost. Like I think that uh, in terms of openness, the reason why perhaps there were more major breakthroughs in the past was because you just had fewer rules and regulations. Inventors and other entrepreneurs were not so stifled by them, not so stifled by having to file IP patents, um, and that often can you know stifle innovations. And so, uh, by having too much red tape, that certainly does not help. And then regarding competition between U.S. and China, I, I really think that uh, it, it's it's more than competition right now. I, I mm-hmm. almost feel like they see each other as enemies at this point. And probably what needs to happen is to have some kind of diplomatic breakthrough where you know there's some kind of new peace treaty signed where it can be enforced, whether it's by the UN or something, where you have a, a a, a stop to this uh, hostile environment that is being generated, and whether you um, do it through like a Reagan Gorbachev like breakthrough or something mm-hmm. else, um, mm-hmm. I think that would certainly, you know, help increase more acado- academic exchanges in the long run, as opposed to where it's going today, which is going down.、Mm. Now, Dr. Liu, what's your one policy suggestion to either side? Well, for for the U.S., I, I guess、uh, my recommendation is if U.S. wants to maintain、uh, the edge in scientific research,、mm. uh, you you need to stop、uh, things like China Initiative.、Uh, you need to make your、uh, research、uh, place safer, freer,、mm. uh, and, and particularly free racial、uh, discrimination. Uh, and and do not、uh, count anyone with the Chinese appearance as a potential、uh, non-national intelligence collector for the Chinese Communist Party.、Mm-hmm. I think for China,、uh, you know, if China has such a big trade surplus, if you look at you know, if education、uh, is another form of trade,、uh, then U.S. surplus is so much bigger、uh, than than China. Yes,、uh, and if China can. Basically, improve、uh, its higher education that、mm. uh, those、uh, who are paying so much、uh, to study in the U.S., in Australia, in European countries, in Japan, even in Russia, if they stay,、uh, then you know that that's a big uh, benefit uh, for for China. But it's going to take a, a long time. Right. Yes. China is able to stay this brain drain.、Mm-hmm. It certainly will take a long time.、Uh, what about Dr. Lehman? What's your policy you know, suggestion? Mean,、mm. Yeah, I mean, I, my suggestion would be、uh, is that we can't use the same mindset that got us into this problem、uh, mm. to to be able to solve this problem.、Um, you know, we can't solve our problems with the same thinking we used to, that when we created them, essentially. And so, I think that. Folks have to take a look at it a, a different way. I think we get kind of stuck in in the middle of difficulty becomes this opportunity. Now there's you know friction, and it's like I don't know Carl Jung, the famous you know、uh, mm-hmm. psychiatrist, said that I mean when two people meet, it's like a chemical reaction, and it's the same with、uh, with nations. It's the same with、uh, and they can be good or they can be bad, and so the question is how do we harness 
this tension into something that's positive. We, you know, we've seen it before. I mean, Richard Nixon came in 1972 when, you know, he was uh, the red baiter. He was, uh, you know, sort of made his, his, uh, his name on being um, anti-communist. And he came and, and opened up the door and eventually things got normalized in 79. Mm. So who would have thought that that fellow, you know, would would come and do that? And so I, I, I see the same thing happening. I mean, uh, ironically, Henry Kissinger was just here in Beijing not too long ago. Mm. Um, yeah, it was here with Mr. Nixon at the time, at age 100. Mm. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, uh, the past doesn't, uh, you know, repeat itself, but it rhymes. And here's Mr. Kissinger. So I do think that the, from this turmoil will come success. I just think that people have to be rational and reasonable and open-minded about these type of things and not get too extreme like we are seeing in the United States where people are polarizing. We didn't have that before. And I think the same thing between the two nations. If they, if we have some reasonable people in bridges like this show, like these folks that are in the show right now talking about <laughs> right. these things, mm. we can get uh, you know a, a way forward. Mm. I think we need um, some uh, courage, some uh, vision, and some bravery if we want uh, a new type, uh, a stable, healthy type of uh, U.S.-China relations. And uh, certainly this is important for academic uh, exchanges because, you know, only by talking, scientists can share their recent findings and help the progress of uh, all human beings. Thank you to you all for talking to me today. We've been talking to Dr. Liu Yawei, director of the China program at the Carter Center, Anne Lee, adjunct professor at New York University, and Edward Lehman, managing director of Lehman Lee and Xu Law Firm. You've been listening to the chat lounge on CDTN Radio. Thank you for joining us for this edition. Until next time, I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. Welcome. I'm Elaf Ellard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today.